friends, welcome back to AlleyCast. It is me, myself, and I today, baby. We got a solo episode all about the five things that I have learned in the past few years of therapy. I grew up in a family that definitely didn't talk about therapy, let alone go to therapy. Not that they really shamed it, but it just wasn't something that was discussed. So when I started in recovery from my eating disorder, I was really nervous to go to therapy. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was like. And I kind of pictured some old crotchety woman on a sofa, just peering over her notebook and judging me. But come to find out, it's actually one of the best things I've ever done for myself. So if you are someone who is thinking about it, but not quite sure, or you're someone who's been going for years, I just wanted to share my top five things that I've learned because they have been absolutely life-changing. And it was really hard for me to make this list. I feel like I've learned so much and I've grown so much as a person since starting therapy. And even before I dive into the list, I want to share the number one thing that's important with going to therapy, and that is finding the right therapist for you. And it's like dating. You're not probably going to find your perfect match on the first date or the first person that you meet. And I really struggled with that. I think that kept me kind of stuck and not really believing in the power of therapy. I felt like I took a little hiatus there because, you know, the first few therapists that I came across, I just didn't feel like they were the right fit for me. And so I didn't get a lot out of those sessions. So yeah, I would definitely, you know, bop around, almost treat it like you're dating. And you have to give it a few sessions too, because I feel like with therapy, it really takes some time to kind of get into the juice, get into the meat. The first few sessions are always sort of just getting to know each other, getting to know your therapist's style and cohesive fit. So that would be my number one overarching piece of advice. But let's dive into the list. So I made a little list on my phone because, I don't know, this was really hard for me to to whittle them down. But the first one is my list of five. Number one, emotions are never wrong or bad. And I think for me, if you've been following along at all on Instagram, you know, it has been such a journey for me to feel my feelings. And I think that was really at the root of all of my issues around food was that I just didn't feel my emotions. And so I use food to suppress, to numb, to distract, to avoid. And so, I mean, this was a huge, huge realization for me in therapy and just absolutely life-changing in all aspects. And I think anyone, regardless of whether or not you struggle with food, the more you can feel your emotions, the more you can really tap in, lean into it, and not try and run away from those negative or bad feelings, your life is going to improve immensely. And what that means and how I like to really tap into my emotions is if you feel a pang of sadness come up, I think historically what I used to do was kind of tense up maybe go on my phone, scroll on Instagram, eat something, go for a walk. And all of those can be coping mechanisms. And I'm not saying those are bad, but it was like, I could not even sit with this negative feeling for a split second. It was so unbearable for me. So working with a therapist, especially a somatic therapist, who's someone who can help you tap into your body, that has been life-changing because slowly but surely I've been able to experience these negative feelings and you can't see me right now but I'm putting them in air quotes because they're not negative I mean it's all part of the human experience but I think society and our culture has deemed 
sadness and anger and loneliness kind of bad things because they don't feel great in our bodies. So getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and just allowing ourselves to experience that emotion, it passes so much more quickly. You know, you're not pushing this beach ball underwater and then it will inevitably splash up in your face. All right, number two is living neck up isn't sustainable. And what I mean by that is for most of my life until very recently, I'm talking like the past few months, I was a neck up human being. And that means I was very cerebral, always in my head, always overthinking, leading with my brain rather than my heart or, you know, just my body in general. And the reason I say it's not sustainable is our brains are phenomenal. I mean, clearly they set humans apart from every other species in this world. And I'm not discounting the power of the brain. I think it's amazing, but I think all of us live in our brains so much that we're so disconnected from our bodies and we're kind of these like walking brains, right? Like we're, we're just walking around in these vessels and we're not really thinking about what our body wants or what our body is telling us. And we're so disconnected from those signals. And for me, that was really exacerbated with my eating disorder because, you know, I mean, talk about being cut off from your body's signals. I was not listening to my hunger or fullness cues. I would, you know, overeat to the point of extreme pain because I was in my head and I was, you know, sad or lonely or whatever it was. But my body was telling me like, yo, we've had enough. Like you can stop now. And I just kept going. And then same thing with restricting, you know, so hungry, so weak, so tired, but just not giving my body that fuel because, you know, for whatever reason. So I think, you know, those are the physical signals, but also the emotional signals. Like I know, you know, in our society, we have a saying called a gut feeling or just like, I don't know. I just have this weird like gut feeling about something, your intuition, listen to those. Like those are so powerful. And I'm not saying, you know, live your life just by listening to your intuition. Uh, I mean, you could, if you want, I, I think definitely your brain has a huge role to play in that, but working together your brain and your heart, I think can be a really powerful combo where a lot of us just rely on the brain, you know, to make decisions. So I know my intuition has never steered me wrong. A gut feeling has never steered me wrong. So try and pay attention to that. All right. Number three, it's okay. If people don't like me, Oh, this one is so important. (laughs) So important for so many of us people pleasers out there, which was me for so many years. And honestly, is still me, but I'm constantly working on it. And I don't think it's something that I've necessarily nailed or succeeded at, but definitely a work in progress there. Yeah, so I mean, just this feeling of needing everyone to like you, needing to be well-liked, to be likable, it's pretty exhausting. And if you really think about it, you know, for me, I was like, I don't like most people. Like there are very few people that I like. So why am I expecting everyone else to like me? And it was really this kind of bombshell realization where I was like, damn, that is, that's the truth right there. So ever since then, I've really just been uncovering, peeling back these layers of why I feel the need to have everyone like me, why I feel the need to be so likable. And we're not going to go into my own therapy session on this podcast, but Because I was making sure everyone around me liked me, I was suppressing my own power. I was keeping myself small. I was keeping myself palatable. I was avoiding conflict. And I was not living to my true potential. And it was 
stifling me, stifling myself. So important to keep in mind for all the people pleasers out there. That's a big one. All right. Number four is you can't change other people. Okay. This was also a huge one for me because especially in the relationship dating world, I felt like whenever I started to get into a relationship with someone and there were certain things about them that I didn't like, I felt like I could change them. And I felt like XYZ was wrong. Whatever they did that annoyed me was wrong and it was fixable. And I think especially with dating Eric, you know, him being so different from myself a little bit more soft-spoken, not as emotional, and my family being very loud, very, you know, outgoing, very (laughs) extroverted. Whenever he would come over to hang out with my parents, I got a lot of anxiety because I was like, oh my gosh, he's not as outgoing as they are. Are they going to like him? And I remember telling him, you know, early on in our relationship before coming over to my parents' house, hey, like, just can you be a little more extroverted, like a little more enthusiastic, a little more expressive. And I cringe just even thinking about the fact that I did that because, you know, how hurtful is that for someone if the roles were reversed and I was going to hang out with his family and he was like, can you just tone it down a little? Like, can you just be a little quieter? I would be like, fuck off. Bye. So realizing that that's my own shit and just how much happier I am and how much more relaxing it is when you just kind of sit back and you let other people in your life do their thing. And you don't have this God complex and you don't feel like you can change them or, you know, control their actions. And it's also sort of hurtful to the other person, right? Because you're subconsciously telling them, you can't be an adult. You can't live your own life. I have to do it for you. Or I have to help you. Like it's just the God complex. I don't know. And it's just so nice to have this realization And really embody that where you're just like, I love you for you, no matter how you are. And it's a really beautiful place to be in. And, you know, say you really don't like this person's actions and it really bothers you time after time. Great. Move on. Go find someone new. You know, there's plenty of fish in the goddamn sea. So stop wasting your energy trying to control them or change them and just spend it on finding a new person (laughs) to hang out with. All right. Last one is boundaries are essential. Oh, the boundary conversation. We all need more boundaries. I promise you that. Yeah, I mean, this goes hand in hand with the people pleasing, right? So the more you want other people to like you, the more you're, you know, making yourself small and making other people happy, the less you are spending time on your boundaries. So the biggest boundary for me, I think, was just this power of realizing that I can say no. And no is a complete sentence and I don't have to justify my no. (laughs) I can just, someone asked me to go to dinner and I can say no. And that, you know, full stop period. I don't need to explain it. I don't need to make an excuse or a justification. It's, It's such a powerful realization. And when you're on the receiving end and someone sets a boundary, I mean, I respect it. I'm like, damn, good for you. Cool. And it kind of gives me this power of like, I can set my boundaries too. You know, when you see other people really doing that for themselves, it's honestly inspiring. And the biggest thing I've learned from therapy is practicing your boundaries on people that you're really close to. So, you know, your mom and dad, your partner, your best friend, someone who you feel so close to and so comfortable with that if you mess up, you say the wrong thing, maybe you're a little too harsh with your boundary setting, then 
they'll forgive you. You know, it's not going to be the end of your friendship or the end of the world. And that kind of takes the pressure off, especially as you're starting to practice boundary setting, because it is a practice and it's scary at the beginning to say no when you're used to being the yes girl and you're used to just defaulting to yes. I think that was my biggest shift was when someone would ask me to do something immediately, you know, my gut instinct would be just say yes. And I would say that really quickly. And then later I would not want to go to it or I wouldn't be in the mood or something else would come up. And then I would have to flake on them. And it's like, that's the worst. Like being a flaky person is the fucking worst. And so I actually shifted my initial gut response to let me get back to you on that. And it's just been so powerful, that little shift, because it's not like I'm saying no right away. You know, that seems kind of intense, but I'm just giving a pause. I'm giving a little buffer for me to come back to them and make my decision when I've had time to think about it. So those were my five. Hopefully this was helpful for you. Hopefully it inspires you to go experience therapy for yourself. I'm a huge fan of both talk therapy, so psychotherapy, and also somatic therapy, as I mentioned. And in terms of resources, I have found all of my therapists through word of mouth. So I highly recommend just asking people in your network, you know, I'm sure there's someone in your network, either a friend or a family member that goes to therapy. It's really, really common. (laughs) Even if people aren't posting about it on social media or talking about it on a podcast, So I would recommend that route. I know you can obviously, you know, Google or there's lots of virtual options now, but I just am a huge believer for something like this in the power of word of mouth and that kind of organic marketing. Hopefully this was helpful and I will see you guys next week with another solo episode. 